0: Even though we're seeing cyclicality improve, we have to be mindful that it is a uh, Fed-dependent market until trade is resolved. If it's a Fed-dependent market or a central bank-dependent market, in my mind, that still bodes well for growth and for passive relative to active and value. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And I'm
1: Ryan Dietrich. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning, John. How's it going over there today? Pretty well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well, John. You know, the weekend was pretty standard for me. Some sports, watching football. The boys did good at their sports. But, you know, the good news is Friday, we survived a Friday, was a big Friday the 13th with a full moon. Apparently, according to the Farmer's Almanac, and I'm not one to disagree with their data, uh, August of, uh, let's see, August of 2000, the last time we saw a Friday the 13th with a full moon you got to go all the way back to, all the any, way out to 20 werewolves i don't august 2000 i don't remember what i was even i was still at xavier university i guess it's right before my senior year maybe i literally started my seven best year. years of your life right yeah so i was gonna say three but yeah. You Let's know, uh you know uh but the next friday the 13th with a full moon apparently is 2049 so where's the s&p gonna be then I don't know. I, I suspect I'm not going to be around then. <laughs> you don't want to go so. there, John. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. No, maybe I will. Yeah, I yeah so.
0: 2049, yeah, I'll, I'll be It sounds really far away, but yeah. I'll still be kicking, yeah, going going
1: strong. Is that 30 years, I guess, if my math is right? It's, it's 30, 30 more years. 30 years. So let's let's do compounded annual yeah, growth yeah. rate of 6.6%. We'll, yeah. We'll see what's up. You get a pretty high number. Yeah. So... Yeah, John, uh, you know, what do you think? Start us off. We yeah, got well, enough Friday 13th out of the way there. Well, certainly, I think,
0: yeah. I think this week, you know, for the podcast, we obviously have to talk about some of the rotation that we've been seeing, right? Because the market's within a half a percent of an all-time high in spite of everything that's gone on these last six weeks, right? Uh, But we've had really good rotation, so I think that sort of transition from defensive to cyclical leadership would be important. Uh, We'd be remiss if we didn't talk about this past weekend's uh, tax on the Saudi Arabian oil fields um, and the resulting impact oil prices up about 10% yesterday, where I guess we're about 8% 8 this morning as we tape this around 10 10 a.m. Monday morning big news upcoming week is the Federal Reserve uh, we wrote uh, a lot about the Fed over the last several weeks but do want to highlight some of that a question we've been getting from a lot of our advisors certainly has been uh, negative yields and can that happen here in the mm-hmm. u.s you know uh, we've learned never to say never but the fundamentals really argue against it and we'll get into that uh, shortly and then finally you know kind of Maybe we open with the rotation and like kind of close with the rotation. Right. The underlying fundamentals of this this technical move in the market are pretty strong, with breadth being much better than investors are
1: giving the market credit for. No, you're right, John. So let's get right to it. Last week, if all you looked at was kind of what happened, it was like, oh, okay, interesting week. But under the surface, the thing best way to put it, the things that have been lagging the most had huge weeks. Value specifically had a very big week, up 2.4%, whereas growth Growth was actually down half a percent you know that's about a 3% difference it's one of the largest weekly differences we've seen in a long long time bank stocks John up almost 8% on the week and kind of one thing under under the surface really moving a lot of this is yields. We've talked, like you said, we're gonna talk about yields a little more here later in the negative yields, but the ten-year yield in US is down around 142 about two weeks ago. It's for around 190 as we speak. That's in percentage basis a huge move, but fifty basis point move in about two weeks on a 10-year yield, big deal, and that's probably sparked a lot of the move to value. So John, I guess the big question that I have. Is this finally the start to value outperforming growth, or is this just a little blip? Just let's let's start with something easy to start off the podcast. This yeah, week.
0: you can throw me some high heat later. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think that uh, it's. I don't know if I don't think you can say anything is the start in mm-hmm. year ten of a bull market, right? <laughs> Good you know, point. So I think that's something we got to be mindful of. I do think that um, it's kind of affirmation that uh, all that people worried about in August was a little overblown. You know, now we've discussed many times, don't wanna be dismissive of trade, don't wanna be dismissive of terror, don't wanna be dismissive of all the many, many risks out there. But the idea that, you know, when we hit a new high, when we got to three thousand in July, uh, the first time we hit it, it was very much a defensive-led move, right? A lot of the bond proxies, the the REITs, communication services, utilities, consumer staples, they were leading the market. Uh, last week when we hit 3,000 on the S&P 500, it was a very different tape, and we think that's really important because it's kind of, again, the reaffirmation of the cyclical emphasis that we had been talking about. We're starting to get some traction there, so um, I'm, I'm hesitant to say it's the start, but I do think at this point in the cycle, you want to see cyclical leadership. You want to see confidence, improved sentiment that maybe trade won't be as bad as feared. Maybe the Fed will be almost as helpful as hoped. You know, there are things like that that are factoring into this.
1: Yeah, you know, to put it in perspective, so we've got about two weeks, I guess, approximately until the end of the quarter. Even after last week's huge move in value relative to growth, for the quarter, growth is still up 2.3%, values up, I'm gonna say quote unquote only, only 1.7%. So still for the quarter, growth is outperforming value. So to put it in perspective, this has been a huge move relative, but maybe there could be a little bit more room there. I mean, just to put it, I mean, for 10 years, really, we've seen value underperform right. growth as the yield curve continues to flatten. That's obviously put a uh, damper on financials and obviously hurt value overall. See, so you're, yeah. you're cocked there. You're about to say something. Yeah. Smart. I
0: want to clarify. Yeah. I want to clarify, you know, my hesitancy to say that this is the start of value outperforming growth. When we saw a value firm relative to growth in the first half of 2018, it was because we were counting on fiscal policy driving things, right? Whether it was reduced regulations, yes. whether it was increased government spending, whether it was the tax cuts, whether it was repatriation, you know, those were all tailwinds for cyclical leadership, for active management, for value outperforming growth. Uh, in the second half of 18, we saw CapEx, business investment grind to a halt because of the trade uncertainty. And now that we're counting on monetary policy yet again, right? We had the big news from the ECB over these last couple of weeks. Bank of Japan is going to do what's necessary. The People's Bank of China is going to do what's necessary. Our Federal Reserve is going to cut, we believe, 25 base points this coming week. We'll get into that in a minute. And, um, you know, probably two more cuts uh, before year end. So that is a market that even though we're seeing cyclicality improve, we have to be mindful that it is a uh, Fed-dependent market until trade is resolved. If it's a Fed-dependent market or a central bank-dependent market, in my mind, that still bodes well for growth and for passive relative to active and value.
1: Okay. we we'll go to the next subject, oil in Saudi. Absolutely. All right. Spe-
0: speaking of active, <laughs> exactly. you know, oil so, in Saudi Arabia. So yeah. over
1: the weekend, there was drone attacks in Saudi Arabia. I've seen about anywhere from 5 to 6% of overall global output is impacted by these drone strikes. Of course, Saudi Arabia is quickly trying to get that back online. But as a result, like you said, crude oil has had a massive spike higher. And actually, on a relative basis, energy stocks, like we talked about last week, energy stocks' value started to do a little bit better. You know, I hate to say that they spiked. They foresaw this coming, but nonetheless, energy stocks are obviously bouncing pretty strongly this morning, Monday, as we record this. Now, John, the big question I have, you know, is a big bounce in crude oil really bad for stocks? Because a lot of the headlines are, oh, a big jump in crude oil could be potentially be recessionary. Is it creates some shocks to the system, and I get all that, but I just looked into the last 10 times that the, the, the crude oil, West, WTI, West Texas Intermediate Crude, was up 10% or more. This goes back to two thousand eight, the last ten times we had a ten percent move in one day in crude oil. SP higher eight of those times. You know, that so to say a big spike in crude oil is truly bearish for stocks history would say probably not. Now if you get some major volatility in crude, and I'm specifically thinking back to late two thousand fifteen, early two thousand sixteen when crude was really just going straight down, that impacted the credit markets and we had really an industrial recession, an earnings recession back then. But at least for a little blip here I'd say history would say stocks can take it in stride. But what's your takeaway? What should, what should we, I mean, this is the uncertainty, right? The uncertainty is what this is. And that's what worries me the most, I think.
0: Yeah, and, and, and that's the stuff you can't put on an Excel spreadsheet, right? Exactly. When you see uh, geopolitics, when you see uh, terrorist activity you know, impacting stuff like that, we, we, we can't lose sight of that. But it, it also speaks to the broader sense, if you will, at what point are we imposing ideas from the 70s and the 80s to today? Right. You know, uh, the consumer is very different and energy as a percentage of consumer outlays, it might've been, you know, eight or 10% 40 years ago. Uh, today, it's what, two to 4% of consumer outlays. So I'm not, uh, well, we get paid to worry and I'm very worried about any time you see oil fields aflame. Um, don't want to be dismissive of that risk, but the impact to the US economy is may not be today what it was, you know, three or four decades ago, because immediately people start thinking, of, I remember when I was a kid, you know, those mm-hmm. uh, those gas lines in 19, early 1970s. This is where I
1: make my, they had gas lines exactly, back exactly. then, it wasn't just a cart and buggy with, uh, with a horse? They, they had know. gas lines, mm-hmm.
0: Yep, we actually had gas lines, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know, you know, to what extent that will proliferate, mm-hmm. uh, but the consumer's in a very different situation, and I think that's something we need to be mindful of, and probably why, you know, the stock, even though, uh, you know, oil was up, what, 10% on Sunday in futures, right. but probably opened up 7 or 8% this morning. Our stock market might be down 100 at the open, but, you know, a third of 1%, four-tenths of
1: 1%. Yeah, you know, you're speaking of in flames. Did you see the start of the Jacksonville Jaguars game yesterday, John? Did you see those highlights or lowlights? I, low lights, I, I did not. What happened there? Oh, they did some pyrotechnics. Team comes out. Terrence, did you see that? You didn't see it either. Okay. So anyway, the Jacksonville Jaguars come out of the tunnel. Pyrotechnics, major fire. I'm talking- Did they really? The, the major mistake. Now, fortunately, everything was fine. They put the fire out, and the game still kicked off at 101 like it was supposed to. Uh, but some fires all around, I guess, from that point. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I,
0: I don't know. At what point will people learn the lesson about pyrotechnics? You know, after Michael Jackson's hair went on fire, right? And there there was a, uh, a musician in Europe, a, a woman who was just- badly burned i mean she may have she may have perished over there. but there's something happened yeah, recently sure. i I'd, I'd seen internationally and then uh, you see something like that i don't know don't know if you need the you know Beavis and butthead uh, <laughs> right. emphasis on fire for everything. You know, uh, I don't know if we I don't know if we need to go there. No, probably but not. But let's transition from Beavis and Butthead to Jerome Powell at the Federal Reserve. <laughs> oh we go from one extreme to the next. That's I'm not right. making a parallel there by any stretch of the imagination.
1: Good. I said Terrence have to cut but that out if we did. I understand what you're saying there. Yes.
0: Absolutely, because uh Jerome Powell. Uh, has been doing, I believe, a very good job trying to balance all the many, many conflicting pressures with which he's faced. And uh, again, we defended him in December when very few did, when he said uh, policy was still accommodative and he was vilified. But we we came out with the real inflation-adjusted interest rate chart showing that policy was still accommodative. And thankfully... uh, Markets have rebounded handsomely from then. So, yes, Jerome Powell has been ver- uh, about as uh, explicit as a Fed chair can be with recent speeches in Switzerland, the Jackson Hole speech, the new uh, phraseology from the Fed, the buzz term from the Fed is they will act as appropriate to sustain the expansion. So, he, I mean, he's saying that constantly. Yeah, we're looking for 25 basis points this Wednesday, an additional 25 basis points before year end. We have two more meetings. It's conceivable he may want to bang this out in October and just see how everything goes thereafter.
1: Yeah, so John, you know, we had the as we mentioned 6 weeks ago, I guess. We had the first rate cut by the Fed since 2008. And I was just playing with some numbers. I was taking a look at, you, you know, You do that, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I do. I was looking at rate cuts and what I found was if the first two cuts in the new cycle are 25 basis point cuts, the future returns on equities are pretty good. And I'll get into this in a second. But if one of the two first cuts are a 50 basis point cut, you tend to have weak equity returns. And just the general consensus there, you think about it. We talked about a 25 basis point insurance cut. Maybe if there's two of them, the Fed says, okay, this is more insurance. Things are okay. But if the Fed sees more trouble, they'll cut with 50 basis points, and that's when more trouble comes. So we'll be all over this next week on the podcast. I'm sure we'll write about it. research.com the Fed decision, but. 25 basis points makes sense, John. Now, here's the years. I have 79, 84, 87, 95, and 98 all saw two rate cuts of 25 um, basis points. Six months later, the S&P 500 up 9.7%. A year later, up 16.7%. Compare that with seven other times back to the 70s where one of the first two cuts were 50 basis points. Uh, six months later, up only 3%. A year later, up only 2% with some pretty big drops in there, uh, 2001, 2008 specifically. So I think it comes down to, yes, what he says in, in the q and is important, what they do, but what they do is really what matters the most. So if 25 basis points is what it is Wednesday, that could be Potentially a positive, and markets could just take it in stride. Really, what do you think?
0: Yeah, I think he is loath to do a fifty basis point move. So hopefully, your, mm-hmm. you know, crisp analysis won't have to come to fruition. You know, really, what's driving this thing? We are in a very unique period with the inverted yield curve because of low inflation, as opposed to, you know, the Fed jacking up short rates. Short rates rising faster than long rates, as we've discussed the last few podcasts. Right? We have right. short rates that have fallen uh, less quickly than long rates. Uh, because of global valuation and other factors absent inflation. So I just think we we need to be mindful of, you know the Fed's mandate official mandate is to keep a lid on inflation and to ensure as full an employment situation as possible. I think they've achieved both of those from from a price stability standpoint. Uh, we saw inflation number last week, nothing too threatening, right right? So still uh, quiescent from an inflation standpoint. But we have to recognize that the Fed may not be able to, Explicitly state that they have to w- be mindful of the dollar, right? I don't think the Fed is, you know, Isn't in spite of what headlines you would suggest. Said yeah, the, third the, the unofficial third un- mandate. Unofficial. Mm-hmm. You know, the media may want to suggest that market stability is one, but I, I think they, they're uh, obviously reluctant to even acknowledge that comment. But from a currency standpoint, they need to recognize the interest rate differential between other global sovereigns. One, right? And two, they need to recognize what, what the impact is to the currency because uh, it's a fascinating period where we see st- strong dollar and a Fed easing cycle.
1: You know, one thing, I guess, John, to wrap this up, our friends at Ned Davis Research also took a look at w- what happens after two cuts, the initial two cuts in a cycle back to World War One. The Dow's up 20% a year later. So just another, believe me, there are some down years in there, but right. overall- first two cuts market seems to do okay if you look at history so john you kind of hinted at it here let's let's move to our fourth subject we're going to talk about which i think in the three and a half years i've been here this is one of the most popular questions that we've received in terms of all at once over the last four weeks and that is negative yields there's 17 trillion with the t uh negative yielding sovereign debt around the globe the big question that i've heard repeatedly is can the u.s really go negative can the 10-year yield in the united states really go negative we have the inverted yield curves we talked a lot about that by the way the 210 yield curve was up 10 10 basis points um Uh, to the upside uh, recently, so it was no longer inverted, which I guess you could say is a positive sign there. But, John, this week's Weekly Market Commentary, and I'll hand it over to you, did take a look at negative yields around the globe. Can it? First off, can it happen in the United States? I mean, can we really go negative with the 10-year yield here in the U.S.? Most popular question from our advisors.
0: Never say never, uh, but I am hard-pressed to acknowledge it anytime soon when looking at the fundamentals, right? We've got the largest bond market in the world, the most liquid bond market in the world, the highest-rated bond market in the world, there is a bid for us in spite of our spending habits, and we hit a trillion-dollar deficit last week, yep. uh, year-to-date. So that is a situation we're going to have a trillion dollars in, in increased issuance, right? We, we, we've got to finance Who's counting. this. counting? Yeah. We've got to finance this, and I've got to think that global investors at some point, particularly once we've seen this way, this shift, if you will, from one low 140s to one hundred ninety on the 10-year treasury in what, six or seven trading days. I mean, that is an unbelievable shift. I still suspect you're going to see uh, the Federal Reserve on the short end go to 150, which would give them 50 basis points with which to play should we have the possibility of a self-fulfilling discovery, Mm -hmm. self-fulfilling prophecy recession in the fourth quarter of 20 and the first quarter of 2021, when businesses and consumers just tap out to wait to see right. what happens from the election. So that gives the Fed quantitative easing and an additional 50 basis points. In this week's weekly market commentary, we talk about the curious case of negative yields. We don't see it anytime soon, we're uh, hard pressed to acknowledge it may even occur, but nonetheless, we want to respect the power of global capital flows, and that very much could force, rates into a negative situation. I don't think you'll see a Jerome Powell Fed take rates negative. That's why one of the subtitles of this report is, will 1% be the new zero uh, coming up to the next recession? So we don't see negative rates here anytime soon. We think the Fed is reluctant to take rates that low. We think what the Fed will do is take rates down to 150 before year end hold it there till the next recession, give them 50 basis points in quantitative easing uh, to play with that, and then be mindful of market forces with uh, a widening trade deficit, a Fed that has taken rates lower to the degree we narrow the interest rate differential between uh, the U.S. and other global sovereigns. That also takes some of the pressure off the currency, which could also help steepen the curve, which should steepen further on trade progress, but also the curve should steepen further on on increased treasury issuance to finance the trillion dollar debt.
1: Yeah, I'll wrap it up like this. It kind of reminds me of one of my favorite market quotes. It's General Patton. He said, if everyone's thinking alike, somebody isn't thinking. And what I'm getting as last four weeks, everyone's thinking yields have nowhere to go but lower. The 10-year very well could go lower. Ten months ago, everyone expected higher yields. When everyone's on one side of the boat, you get a little rockiness. That's how boats can capsize. And sure enough, now we've had a massive spike in the 10-year yield. So, John, the last thing, and I'll wrap this up quickly because we've only got about two or three minutes, market breath. You know, as a market technician, I like to look at momentum, relative strength, seasonality, you know, market sentiment, those types of things. But the good news, under the surface, something like the NYSE advanced decline line, how many stocks going up versus down every single day, cumulative basis, just last week made a new all-time high. And what that tells us, there is participation under the surface. We didn't even mention small caps. Small caps last week, I think about 5%. Oh, approximately 5%, one of their largest weekly gains ever. And again, that's the beaten up stuff last week, did really well. And you think about small caps, there's a lot more small cap stocks than our large cap stocks. And that's another under Underlying positive pinning when you see the baton is being t- passed around not just being dropped but passed around and small caps are leading with some of those cyclicals industrials my goodness industrials have really lagged for a while it's a trade play right the, the china concerns with with the industrials that's why they haven't moved all of a sudden relative strength basis industrials went up for two straight years from early 2016 to early 2018 and have gone sideways for 20 months
0: and they're most highly correlated and they're the most market.
1: highly correlated to the market and all of a sudden industrials are starting to look pretty tasty so if that group starts to lead that a good sign so the underlying pinnings of this uh, bull market from a technical point of view in my opinion are still there doesn't mean we can't have volatility doesn't mean you can't have a 10 percent correction i mean that absolutely can happen but it sure doesn't look like what we saw in uh, early 2000s and 2006 2007 when that advanced decline line started to go down when the stock market was going up suggesting less participation we're seeing stocks participate here
0: absolutely absolutely so getting that transition of cyclical leadership is important but be mindful of a market that's still dependent on on central bank intervention. So to wrap it up, we talked about rotation, Saudi Arabia and the oil prices. We'll we'll pay very close attention to that this week. Wednesday, we'll have the Fed meeting. Please read our weekly market commentary available on lpl.com, uh, where you can see our, our views that it's unlikely to see negative yields in the U.S. anytime soon, uh, given Fed policy, given treasury issuance, given better growth and the likelihood for increased inflation, but that treasury issuance. And then finally, the technicals that Ryan has highlighted with the advanced decline line. And when you see that sort of strength, uh, uh, forward returns tend to be pretty good for the market. Ryan, John, closing I'll, comment?
1: I'll sign off with this. Just thank you, everyone, for listening. Please follow us on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Give us a positive review. The more positive reviews we get, the more people potentially can listen to this podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we do have an email address, LPLMarketSignalsPodcast at LPL.com. Thanks, everyone. And, John, I'll hand it back to you to take us home. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Ryan. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Hope you have a great week. If you're listening while driving, drive safely. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks for everything. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm John Lynch.
1: And I'm Ryan Dietrich. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principle. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPL Financial, LLC, securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor... Please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC-NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.